probably you know, the large proportion of the comments and the retweets and the likes and, and the questions and everything was coming from non-farmers and how much of a opportunity it was then to really um, engage with them and sort of show what farming actually is. Welcome to the MacVet podcast, the show that talks about communication, cows and coffee. I'm Fiona McGilvery, and today I'm talking to dairy farmer James Robinson. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Fiona. I'm excited to speak to you. Um, and I've noticed from your recent posts on social media that you seem to have been having some glorious sunny weather recently. We have. Uh, pretty typical for Cumbria, to be honest. For those that don't know Cumbria, it's, it's always blue skies. Um, yeah, California is a sunshine state. Well, Cumbria is a sunshine county, pretty much. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it has been it has been fantastic, and um, for a change, the south and southeast has been getting some fairly minging weather, which yeah. we normally get. So uh, tables have turned slightly. Exactly, and we're and we're making the most of it. Exactly. Um, so James, would you mind starting off by telling me a bit about yourself and your farm, please? Yeah, so James Robinson, I farm with my family, so with me, uh, my dad Henry, son Robert, uh, my wife. Michelle and mum Kathleen so uh, very much family farm always has been uh, I'm the fifth generation to farm here and then my son Robert who is now 19 he's the sixth um, he's working full-time on the farm now uh, we've been here since 1875 as a family um, my great great grandfather took over the farm then in 1875 it was a tenanted farm then and it's um, grown from about 80 acres at the time to 300 now and it's all owned um, at the time it was tenanted and then we've bought um, you know various small farms next door to be uh, to be the 300 acre that we are now. Wow that's some growth isn't it? It is yeah it's been a steady <laughs> steady growth though from the um, we bought next door farm was that was four years ago and um, nearly five now actually um, that was 60 acres uh, Prior to that, the only land that's come up for sale next door to us was the 1960s. So it's a long, it's a long slog, I think, really trying to build a family farm, especially ring fence family farm, because it's all family farms around us as well. So um, they don't tend to come up for sale too often. So when they do, you really got to grab them. So what are some of the changes that you've made to the farm since you've been in charge? Yeah, um, well, we converted to organic um 19 years ago, so it's same uh, so same age as my son. Uh, we've been organic. Um, we've still got the dairy short ones though, so they're very much a breed that works very well for an organic system. Uh, so we've been organic um, for those 19 years. Prior to that, we, we used to have sheep, so we used to lamb 250, 300 yards as well, um, and then keep probably about 60, 70 short ones. We've, we've upped the cow numbers to 120, 130 plus followers, and then um, and then uh, sold the sheep. So I've only got a small flock of Herdwick sheep, which belong to my son at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest pretty much, other than you know trying to modernise and trying to streamline stuff, um, we're pretty much doing what we've 
done for the last five, six generations, to be honest. And is farming something you always wanted to do? Um, yeah, I think I did. I don't think I ever saw that I was doing it, could do anything else. When, there was there wasn't there was ample opportunity. You know, I wasn't forced down it at all. It wasn't something that you felt you had to. Um, we're never really a sort of real farmy type family. You know, like some people go off on their holidays and all they do is stand and they go and visit farms or go to an auction or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that isn't us, and it wasn't us when we were kids and stuff. Um, but uh, you know, just encouraged to enjoy farming if, if, if I wanted to do it. It wasn't anything, like I say, that was forced. Um, and it's just something that I've always enjoyed doing. I've always enjoyed being outside. You know, I spent all my childhood summer holidays just messing about outside, um, either on the farm or in the fields or in the back or whatever it might be. You know, I just uh, I just love being out and I still do. That's the best thing about being a farm. A farmer, I think, is just being able to be outside all the time. So, James, what's your main sort of passion? What really drives you about farming? I think just trying to better the farm, really, um, and um, and trying to be as good a uh, family man as I can as well, I suppose, to me, uh, to me wife and, and boys. Mm-hmm. But trying to better the farm, I think, involving them as well. You know, it's all it's very much a family farm. Um, so all the decisions that we that we always make, they're always you know the whole family makes them. Um, it's not my farm, it's not Dad's farm, it's a family farm, and that's that's for the people that were before and the people that are hopefully coming after. You know, it's nothing. Uh, you don't ever own it. You 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 just sort of a, like a like a caretaker of it, I suppose, for for the future generations. And I think we really should see ourselves as that as well. Um, so we should always try and you know this farm for tomorrow thing. Um, we should always just try and farm for tomorrow um, and just think about whatever we're doing now has such an impact of in, in the future as well. You know, be it um, laying a hedge, planting a tree, um, breeding cows as well. You know, it's a long term game is that type of thing, isn't it? You know, it's never a, you, if, you, if you're serving AI in something today, it's going to be nearly three years before you see it carved. Mm-hmm. Um itself you know that that the, the resulting calf and another probably three or four years before you're going to see any major profit from that um and the progeny of those so it's you know it's such a long long-term thing really and that i know is something that, that politicians probably struggle with really so just yeah just trying to get things right for the future i think mm-hmm. yeah now you mentioned you are a family farm and obviously different generations i'm wondering do you come across many challenges in terms of that sort of a longer term vision and any directions that maybe one or two of you has is there any sort of conflict or how do you handle that kind of approach i don't yeah i don't think there's any conflict i mean when so we like we've always had the dairy short on so the dairy short ones have been uh pedigree here for over 100 years 1915 was the first red the first pedigree animal was born at strictly um, incidentally, the short the the shot on herd book is the oldest herd book in the world, so it was two hundred years old last year. Uh, so we've been part of that for you know just over half of its um, life, um, and they're a breed that really suits us, and they suits the farm and everything. So we've always kept the short ones. We've always farmed in a way that you know we we see it as sustainable or as sustainable as we can get. Uh, so we're not pushing the land. We're not trying to. Um, force anything out the ground that we that we know we can't uh, put back in 
um you know it's we're not we're, we're not mining the farm as it were you know we are we are sustaining it and trying to regenerate it as much as we as, as we can and the whole family has has always sort of seen it that way you know so when we're when we're for instance laying hedges um we're laying hedges that we know um that my you know uh, well dad because he remembers doing it my granddad because i remember doing it with granddad some of them but then also his his dad and his and the, his father before that so uh would you know it's very much a continu continuation of what they've been doing and we just see that as as the same thing and we do obviously change things you know we uh, we've become organic and you know um within my son's lifetime um uh whether we will always be organic or whether something else will come up, I don't know, but we'll just adapt and, and go with that as well, as long as we see it as something that we can maintain um, the farm for the future. Incidentally, we have had quite a bit of short-torn love on the podcast to date, um, so that's all good. <laughs> We're keeping on track there. I think it is. It's well. I'm I'm glad to see that they are being recognised as the um, that the breed you know, for the for the good that they are. You know, they're a breed that is obviously still the test of time, given that they're 200 years old as a breed, um, and they're a breed really that's really well suited to um, producing milk well off off grass. Um, and you know that's able to walk long distances, great fertility, great feet health and stuff. And um, yeah, I think they certainly should not be overlooked, anyways. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as I say, very picturesque. On uh, which I think helps with your social media presence. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good, you know. Some someone commented yesterday. Um, they look good on them hills, and they do. You know, they, yeah. to be honest. Um, I think, you know, like, how you healed in Holstein, not that we would have them here, because if we haven't, we're not the right type of farm for it. Uh, but how you healed in Holstein wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't wouldn't be too keen, I'm sure it probably could if it was starving, but wouldn't be too keen to say, climb up some of the banks that we've got that we graze cows on, you know, because they are very, very steep. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, short odds are just willing to go anywhere and eat pretty much anything, really, to be honest. So just picking up again on the social media accounts that you post on so instagram and twitter i'm intrigued to hear a bit more about what got you got you started in that um i think it was a it was me being nosy about something like uh cow tracks so just looking as to uh, we were looking to put some cow tracks in and i'd done the ahdb type of um you know looking through their stuff and um and i always said that i wouldn't do social media i wasn't on facebook or anything um, and uh, I couldn't really see the part of, you know, putting pictures of your supper on on the thing. And uh, so I didn't really see it for me. And then, um, yeah, all the sort of decent chat about it, as it were, seemed to be on uh, Twitter at the time. It was a real good sort of farming community on there. And that's why I sort of got on with that and started talking about what we were doing. And then it became a thing where you noticed that you were getting a lot of interest from non-farmers. So, you know, you were, you were putting pictures of, say, uh, a nice, you know, nice calf that you thought you had or silage, you know, whatever it might be, that you're, or hedge laying, whatever you were doing at the time, um, you know, to sort of show the farmers what you were doing and to ask them and stuff. And then you'd get non-farmers um, sort of liking it and asking questions and what have you. And, you, you know, I soon became aware that there was probably – probably you know, the large proportion of the comments and the retweets and the likes and, and the questions and everything was coming from non-farmers and how much of a 
opportunity it was then to really um, engage with them and sort of show what farming actually is. And what were the messages that you were sharing that seemed to be getting picked up more by non-farmers? Well, there was a, you, you've got this at the time, and I don't think it's as bad now, actually. Um, vegans were sort of, you know, the sort of militant vegan types. Would If you put a picture of a calf on, you get something like, oh, when's that calf going to be shot? You know, they, or I bet, it's, I bet it's lost his mother. I bet is he going for veal or whatever it might be. You know, it was always, there were always sort of loaded questions that you couldn't win however, however you answered them. Um, so it was... Yeah, <laughs> regarding that, it was kind of a, an option, uh, sorry, an opportunity for me to give the right message out there as to what's happening with that calf. Um, you know, it's going to end up either uh, in the food chain, you know, if it's a bull calf and we'll sell it to a local chap who will rear them on because we haven't got the room. It's certainly not going to get a shot at birth. And if it's a female one, um, then it's going to uh, end up in the dairy herd, you know, and it'll be very well looked after. And every calf gets looked after. Uh, from birth you know it's it, it isn't that the bull cows get shoved in a crate and shipped off down to the auction you know they are all looked after the same and i think once people realize the care that there is uh within farming for uh for, for, for the animals be that dairy sheep beef whatever it might be you know then they look at things a bit different and they're seeing it from you know if you want to find out about farming you ask a farmer you don't you don't ask someone mm-hmm. uh, who wants to get rid of livestock farming yeah really well said mm-hmm. And have you actually gone on any courses or how have you gone about developing your skills on social media to to sort of increase engagement or you just kind of see what works and, and keep on doing that? Yeah, just flow with it. Uh, yeah, I have. I've certainly haven't done any training. It's quite obvious I haven't done any training, I think. <laughs> um, but then you see, if you, if you, if you got, if you did some training or, co- or something, then you would end up, everyone would end up talking the same. And I think that's quite this thing sometimes with media training, you sort of, People often, from the camera, will say the, everyone will say the same thing, slightly different. Um, so I think really, I think if you can just be yourself, um, you know, and don't keep it keep it real. Uh, if you want to say you've had a real bad day, or just just say it, you know, and and people that can empathise with that because everyone has a bad day, whatever, whatever you're in. Um, and you know don't do it just to get some sympathy just do it to say look i've had a bad day this 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 and then you realize that everyone else is having a bad day or or, you know everyone has had a bad day and there's reasons behind it um so yeah just be yourself and don't put anything on there that you that you don't want out there as well you know so don't put anything out there that um that you that you would hate to see again um because you know once it's out there even if you delete it after 10 minutes someone could have screenshot it so just be wary of how things can be misconstrued sometimes by um you know by people that that may want to um to put a negative light on what you're doing and what farming and do is doing so just be wary of that otherwise you know just put whatever you want on really I imagine you've got the following you have because you are so authentic. You're not sort of trying to follow some sort of agenda or, as you say, some prescribed uh, format. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it is, and and um, yeah, you know, maybe sometimes I always try and keep it positive as well. You know, so because mm-hmm. um, I kind of have to, otherwise my head goes on. So, but if I keep it positive on there as much as I can, um, you know, then it, it does, I, I know it helps other people, you know, I know during lockdown, 
I got lots, you know, dozens of messages from people that were um, that were just loving seeing um, the British countryside and that and that life was still going on because people were stuck in a tower block and that you know they might have been in a twelve foot square room uh, up in a tower block and they couldn't get anywhere or they could you know they could only go for a walk down the street and then they had to come back up again. There was no green space or whatever. So just seeing that there was that green space out there and that there was still all the wildlife happening and farming was still happening. Um, you know, I think it did give people quite a, a nice bit of security and um, and it did just lift them a bit. I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. So I notice you're also involved in inviting uh, school children on for educational purposes to help again sort of spread that message about the benefits or, or what farming's all about can you tell me a little bit about that as well yeah yeah so we've been um so that's we we do that now through the uh, through our um higher tier stewardship um so we've been well this higher tier one we're on now we've only been on 18 months have we yeah 18 months uh prior to that we were on a, a higher level um that was a 10-year scheme. Uh, prior to that, we were just having a few visits on from like our son's nursery and that sort of thing and just doing it for, you know, because we thought it was a good thing to do. Wife's a teacher. A, a teacher. Uh, she's a primary school teacher, works part-time, so it fits in really well with that. And then when we started the uh, um, higher-level stewardship, we found that there was some funding not just for the visit, so we get you know we get funding per visit, but then also some funding for like some capital works. Like so, we've got a passenger trailer that we can cart all the skill kids down the fields on, or we've got a toilet block, so we've got some a couple of toilets and hand washing, which is you know, three things, which is really important. Um, the wife's a real stickler for that, and, and you know anyone that's having children on farm, you've got to be really really careful because they're not you know they obviously haven't been exposed to all the all the bugs that um, you know that farm kids have. Um, and then we've also got a classroom as well. So um, if it's really bad weather, they can go in there. Or if it's or if we need somewhere safe that they can eat the eat the lunches safe and clean, they can go in there and eat them there as well. So we're well well kitted up for it. Um, but yeah, so we take them round and do various stuff. Um, sometimes it's farm based, so it might be um, you know how sort of the milk production and how that all works. Look, go in the parlour. They're all some of them are cows and some of them are farmers uh, we dress them up like that so they can sort of show uh, they can see how the milking's done and then what happens to the milk and the cooling and all that sort of stuff um and then they can maybe make some things with that milk as well you know they're going to do the butter thing or they can make some ice cream or yogurts or whatever it might be so um yeah just try and get them to sort of see that the food that they're buying in a supermarket has started life a dairy product anyway, has started life as grass so it's it's a good thing to sort of them to see and even the rural schools, you know, like we're in a rural area and the majority of rural schools have come, um, even they know very, very little about farming because there isn't that connection. You know, rural villages now, when I was there, it was probably two thirds were farm kids. Um, and now, you know, you're probably less than 10%. That sounds exciting. As you say, the practical element too. Now, what are some of the best questions you've had from the children? I think well, some of them are really, really good. So, you know, some of them are like, you know, and some of the older ones might be, you know, well, what happens to the bull calves? You know, so now whether they've been primed, I don't know. But, you know, it's good that they're asking that type of question. So you can talk about, 
Um, you know, what what happens, you know, say where does, you know, because they all call McDonald's, you can say, well, where does the beef burgers come from? So you can talk about, you can talk about the meat that's in that mm-hmm. and how they, you know, they, they perhaps started life as a, as a dairy bull calf and then they end up as big as a cow um, and then, in a, you know, and end up going into the food chain. You can, some of them ask how, um, you know, are all, um, are all our cows because all our cows are short arms. They're not dairy cows, you know. So they think that a black and white cow is a dairy cow, and anything else is a is a, either a beef cow or a bull, you know. So it's it's all um, it's it. Some of it sounds really basic, and some of it you know that the teachers and the helpers that have come with them as well they don't know they don't know much more than the kids. So you know they're always they're always listening in on the answers because they might not know some of the simple stuff as well. So uh, you're not just teaching the kids, you're teaching the parents and the um, and the teachers that are that are there with them as well. Wow, that sounds like a fantastic opportunity to share with people what it's all about. Again, it is and it isn't, mm. Yeah, and it isn't just the it isn't just the farm stuff. So, you know, we're really keen on showing them all the other stuff that's with the farm as well. So um, a lot of them might think that, you know, if you want to see nature, you've got to go to a nature reserve or you've got to go to a zoo or whatever, you know, if you want to see fantastic creatures. Um, so we do uh, some hedgerow safaris, that type of thing. So they can look at what's living in and around a hedgerow and they can look at plant species and stuff and they can see where there's more diversity. Is it under a hedge? Is it in a hay meadow or is it in a silage field or whatever it might be? So they can you know, look for flowers and stuff depending on the time of year for, for doing that. Um, and then we can do beck dipping and pond dipping as well. And they can see all the, you know, because some of the fantastic stuff that you see when you when you're doing the beck and pond dipping, you know, some of the creatures in there are just fantastic. And that's and it's getting them excited about that tiny little, you know, maybe like the um, the caddisfly larvae um, or the shrimps that we get, you know, freshwater shrimps or the crayfish. Um, when they catch something like that in the net, I say catch, you know, because it's not exactly a wild a wild fish that's taken a bit of wriggling in, but when they catch something like that and they can look at it and they can see, you know, they put them out in these trays and they can see all the different um, creatures in there and how they've adapted um, to live in their, in their environment, in their, in their habitat, you know, and why some things might be living in a, in a fast flowing beck and some things might be living in a pond. And so it's, um, yeah, just getting them excited about the stuff that is on their doorstep all the time. Um, and then they can maybe go out and look at it and catch it with their parents and teach the parents about some of the good stuff as well. Yeah. And I wonder if almost you're inspiring maybe some children who never even thought about farming or, as you say, working in the outdoors, you never know what influence you have in even longer term. Yeah, yeah. And some of the... Some of the well, generally, I think the pupils that are um, probably the quietest in class, um, you know, in a, in in our inside environment, they're the ones that really shine when they come out. You know, they're the ones that uh, come out of the shells and and probably have more knowledge than some of the more bullshit gobby ones. Um, and you know, and it gives other people a chance to shine because not everybody is suited to a classroom environment for learning, and some people will learn far, far better outside doing more practical stuff. So um, yeah, it just gives everyone an opportunity to sort of, you know, to to be the best that they can be. So James, what would you say has been your proudest achievement? Uh, apart from. Um, 
rearing two fairly well-rounded boys, I think, uh, or helping to. You know, I've only had half. The, <laughs> I've only had half saying that, but I think they're pretty good lads. Um, and yeah, they're very, you know, they're always polite and uh, hardworking, and um, so that's good. Um, Robert and Chris, um, and you know, Robert's working on the farm. Chris is uh, into computers, so he's he's going down that route, um, and that's fine. Just whatever, whatever they wanted to do, uh, we would have backed them all the way. Um, so apart from family and boys, um, I think it's probably winning the Silver Lapping Award last year, um, which was a great honour. It's you know it's like the sort of premier um, farming environment award uh, for farming with nature, and uh, it was a it was yes we won it last year, but it was an award I think for um, you know many generations of, of work on the farm. So tell me a little bit more about the award, just for listeners who might not be aware of what it's about. Yeah, so it's a FWAG, so it's a Family and Wildlife Advisory Group um, Silver Lapping Award. It's a national award. I think it's been going since the 80s, I think, um, maybe even slightly before. Um, yes, it could have been actually, so maybe late 70s. And um, it's it's an award, really, that's, yeah, so it's it's... You know, you you can't just enter it. You have you know you have to be in, invited to enter by winning other other things. So we won the Tide Trophy, which is like the Yorkshire Show, the um, the Great Yorkshire Show uh, Conservation Award. So because we won that, which is like a North of England one, we then were put forward to the Silver Lapping Award for that, the national one. And um, yeah, the judge we got shortlisted, and then they then judged that. Came from judge to three judges. We've also got to write a bit of a thing as to what your achievements are on the farm and stuff, what you've done. And until you write them down, you don't really realise what you've done. And I think it's a great exercise to sort of say, oh, well, we've got X amount of hedges that we've done. We've replanted this much. We hedge layer that much every year. We've done walls. We've put ponding. We've done some wetland areas. We've got the hay meadows. Whatever it might be, once you start writing it down, once you're making a list, you realise, but I mean, actually, you know, our farm, and it's not a huge farm at 300, um, our farm has got, all this stuff and imagine if that's multiplied up across the whole country um then you'll see what a um influence really farming has on um on the environment and and on the ecology and habitats and um just being nominated was fantastic but to win it was um yeah i was actually made up yeah i'm not surprised and it certainly sounds like this has been a sort of team family project to get to achieve this working towards yeah. that achievement so it's yeah it's it's an award very much an award for the family you know like the robbers of family from strictly everyone does everyone does uh something towards that um and uh yeah it's just a it's a great one i've actually got the farm walk here on the 22nd of june um and um that's where they announce the 2023 winners so we have a farm walk a bit of summer to eat uh, and they announce the winners as well. So we'll get to sort of hopefully show and hopefully it's a, it's a blue sky day like it always is in Cumbria, remember? Hopefully it's a blue sky day um, and then uh, it'll show off the farm to its best then. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. You were saying before about in farming, you have to take that sort of longer term approach. Uh, you don't necessarily see things quickly have it, you know, coming to sort of fruition, I guess. What would you say your long-term vision is for the farm? Just to keep, to 
Yeah, I don't think I. Uh, yeah, I think the long term vision is to is to just try and make everything better. You know, it's I don't want to see anything going backwards. So that is either um, you know like the profitability of the farm because in the end of the day, you know, we need to be profitable or we can't be here. Um, I don't want to see even something like um, you know how many people it takes to run the farm go down either. I wanted to make sure that there's enough for our family plus at least another one person we can employ. You know, we want we need to, to create employment, not have less people. We need more people uh, on farms, not less, mm-hmm. um, and more farmers as well, more farmers, small farms. Um, I want to see and create as much diverse habitat as we can within the type of land that we have. So yes, we can't do arable margins because we haven't got any arable land, and I'm not going to suddenly start, you know, creating arable uh, um, crops really because our land certainly isn't suited for anything like that. But we can, mm-hmm. um, but we can do the best with what we've got. So if we can protect the water, if we can improve our soils, if we can, um, if we can maybe create a few wetland areas in spots where it is wet, or we're actually going to plant some wood pasture, uh, we're going to put a Orchard in to celebrate 150 years of Robinsons at Strictly. So in two years' time, um, I think it was May when they started. Uh, we'll have um, our family have been in 150 years, so we're going to put uh, an orchard in, like a, a one-acre orchard. Um, so just stuff like that, just something that is really going to hopefully stand the test of time to be here in um, another two or three generations' time. Wow, that sounds like a beautiful investment to keep going with the legacy that sounds gorgeous mm, hopefully yeah we'll have to find it we'll have to think of a name for this orchard as well so it's it's actually going to be just below the surrey tower so i'm not sure whether, <laughs> whether but, but uh, so we'll have to we'll have to think we can't call it slurry tower orchard it doesn't quite it doesn't quite fit but anyway not the right uh, tone for us, <laughs> oh dear um now i'm a little intrigued Obviously, we've talked a little about about communication and and cows. Uh, we said before we went on air that you said, "Oh, you have to wait till I till I ask you." Are you a coffee drinker, James? I used to drink now, but coffee. So I've never really been much of a tea drinker. I used to drink nothing but coffee, um, and then um, and then I met my wife uh, twenty odd years ago, and she hates coffee. Absolutely despises it. <laughs> As you cast on the smell of it. If you mix coffee, you do it. If you make a cup of coffee and then you stir the tea with the same Ooh, spoon, yeah. she hates that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've learned quite quickly <laughs> to not do that. But to be honest, I just I have one cup of coffee a day for breakfast whenever breakfast, yeah. uh, and that's after milking. So I never have anything when I go out for milking. Uh, after milking, when I come in, have my breakfast. I have one cup of um, coffee with, and it's just instant, and that's it. It's no frills, no fancy coffees. It's bog standard, cheap as chips. And then I have tea for the rest of the day. You know, that's that's just yeah. I've been I've been weaned onto tea, so uh, I'm afraid you know, it's um yeah it's cows conversation and uh, oh, sorry cows communication and tea CCT. Again, we're adapting as we're going along. That's <laughs> yeah, that's it. As I, say, I think you know we. we uh, Leading towards caffeine slash coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother having uh, like caffeine free stuff. You know, I think uh, there's a, there's a reason people drink tea and coffee, and it yeah. isn't uh, it isn't for the flavour. <laughs> well said, exactly. James, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you think our listeners would be interested in? Um, 
I am at the moment the vice chair for England, um, the English Steering Group for the Nature Friendly Farming Network. Um, so there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of polarization, isn't there, in in debates about nature versus farming, and you know, and climate, and, and whatever it might be, and it's always so polarized, and it's just, and that's I think why sometimes social media is not a good thing because the debate on there is just so polarized, and it just ends up with a slanging match, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Nature Friendly Farming Network, it's a real good sort of, and this is the reason why I joined in the first place, was that it's a real good middle ground, and it's a good sort of learning place for farmers to talk to other farmers about um you know farming more in line with nature um and also it isn't just for you know farmers to farmer it's uh, farmers to um policymakers to politicians um so there's a lot of work goes on with the network in uh, westminster or in the senate or wherever it might be in the devolved nations so um yeah um i just think it's a real good place to be at the moment uh, there's one or two similar similar organisations. So um, there's uh, like the PFLA, um, yeah, that's it. What's what it's called? I mean, the Pasture Fed Livestock Association and Landworkers and I, that sort of thing. Um, all about really just keeping farmers at the forefront of all the decision making and showing that farmers can do the right thing and um, just be fantastic for the environment and for community. Um, and you know, and sort of en- enhancing things for for the public really, and just growing great food. Um, so yeah, that's just I think it's worth having a look at that. Um, free to join, and this isn't like a sales pitch or anything. Uh, it's just uh, you know, it's I think it's just a, a good thing for not just farmers but for the public uh, to sort of see nature friendly farming can be done. Um, the two can go together. And they're certainly not, um, you know, they're, they're certainly not in separate silos. They, they definitely mix better together than they do separately. Oh, I'm really glad you've mentioned those, James. I will make sure to share those links in the show notes. As well yes, because it's the... yeah, because it's yeah. it's uh, it's free to join, uh, mm-hmm. and you get a get loads of newsletters and stuff. And they're not like rubbish newsletters. It's like real good links for anything uh, related to nature and the farming network. And they're they're becoming a you know a uh, say they we are becoming a network that is um much sought after now really for debate and discussion so i went down and did um i give evidence to the soil inquiry for the um efra committee on soils so they have the, the, these witnesses that give uh, evidence and stuff so there's a chat from the nfu chat from sustain and someone from leeds university and then there was me from the trendy farming network and just been able to sort of give a farmer's point of view as to what we do for soils and what we could do better given you know if if the government was to give us whatever support you may suggest um you know well it's just great to be able to make a difference really that way you know and it's um it's uh, yeah they've also as well um had a real good input on that um wild isles program that sort of mythical sixth episode that was um supposedly going to be on and then and then it went online um if you search online for it it's really really good and two of the uh, nature friendly farmers england steering group members on there neil hesketine and patrick barker they were they featured quite heavily on that um and it was just great to see the recognition really for some good farming it's good to signpost these things and and if people are aware they can get involved like like you have (laughs) yes indeed indeed i think just getting you know if you've got if you've got a chance to show some, you know, and, and 
everyone's at a different stage on a on this real calling of this journey. Everyone's at a different stage in the in the in the journey of change at the moment, and the you know there is a huge change coming for farming. It's already very much happening with BPS and what have you, and it's what direction do we go in as an industry or as individuals? You know, we mustn't really get hung up on the industry. Just think about what you can do as an individual, what you can do best for your farm, because every farm is different. Um, have a look around, see what other people are doing that are similar types of farm as you. You might not be next door, it might be 30 mile away, but, um, you know, just try and see the different ways that things can be done. And it might be that less is more. It might be that reducing your stocking rate a little bit, winding things back a little bit, cutting some of the, um, you know, some of the variable costs out um might just mean that you know you can become more sustainable more, more profitable um and also you know not run yourself into the ground as well so just be a bit more well not yeah just be open-minded about everything i think really i think that's a brilliant way to uh, to wrap up our conversation thank you james be more open-minded for sure well it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you this evening thank you so much for your time james and um I, th I think I feel a part two podcast coming on uh, in the not too distant future to hear what's what's going on in yeah the next couple of years. Well, I'd be yeah, I'd, uh, I'd be very pleased for you, and you'll have to come and have a look, and um, yeah, come and enjoy some Cumbrian sunshine. I am very tempted by that. That <laughs> <laughs> shall keep you to hold you to that invitation. Thank you, fantastic. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show so you can join me next time when I'll be talking more about communication, cows and coffee.